If you're an Android user searching for the perfect way to listen to your podcast as you head out to Camp Crystal Lake, check out the Podcast Republic app on the Google Play Store. There's thousands of good reviews, so you don't have to take my word for it. Check out the Podcast Republic app on the Google Play Store. Hey folks, this is a bit of an unusual episode situation we've got here. So what you're listening to right now is we had a cool guest this week, Ted Gagan, a filmmaker. He offered to hang out with us for a little bit and we said that sounds great and we'll record an interview with uh, with you and we'll, we'll splice it in as we go through the movie. Uh, turns out we were having a really good time and uh, we talked for much longer than anticipated. So instead of doing that, which I think would turn this into like a two and a half hour mega episode be an interview with Ted about his sort of history with the Friday the 13th franchise, why he likes part two so much, and his pitch for a Friday sequel. So uh, it's a really fun, cool interview. Uh, he was really super kind to spend so much time with us, and we had a blast talking to him. When the mega powers explode! I'm talking about the 80s. Great Scott! Queen of the crop. Mega powers, yeah! When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Welcome to Dissecting the 80s. I am Trip Lano, one half of the Mega Podcasting Powers, and with me, as always, is my tag team partner, a man who knows that if a crazy old man approaches you on your way to vacation and tells you not to go, you should probably turn around. The Macho Andrew. Andrew Leno. And I do love Crazy Ralph. He He's great. <laughs> he is he is a real treat. Joining us this week, uh, very excited, filmmaker, great Twitter follow, master of all different things in the film world is Mr. Ted Gagan. Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for being here. Hey, and Thank you. Uh, I think I need to say thank you to the Twitter user who started talking to you about this movie originally. Uh, I have over here is... Uh, at Hot Trash Boy, which is a phrase I never thought I'd that say. That was my nickname in college. <laughs> uh, but uh, Ted was recently talking about uh, Friday the 13th Part 2 on Twitter, and I asked him to join us to talk about the movie, and he said yes. So thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. going to just butter you up a little bit here. Uh, I saw your movie, We Are Still Here, a few years back, and this is a mildly amusing story to me, so maybe hopefully you haven't heard it before, but... Uh, so the Sci-Fi Network ended up airing it like relatively recently after it was released. Are, yeah. Do you know that? Okay. So I had watched it already. I think I had rented it and then it was on Sci-Fi. So I was watching it for a second time and not to spoil anything, but there is a sequence in the movie that is extremely bloody towards the but end. There's like, yeah, yeah. But there's like, I don't know. There's some swearing in the movie. I, I if I recall correctly, it's been a little while, but uh, you, you would know, right? There's some bad words in the movie. A couple. Okay, so on sci-fi, they bleeped out all of the cussing, but this end that is like just this bloody mess, they did not change. Not a frame was missing. (laughs) And it was like, oh, (laughs) yep, we do live in America. The children. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, it's quite ridiculous. I mean, it's it's classic cable TV mentality, which is like, God God forbid you say shit, but... <laughs> you know, it's like you've got The Walking Dead on AMC with just people having like their intestines spray out their butthole, but like that's totally, yeah, totally cool, totally cool. 
yeah, I, I found that del- uh, delightful. I, I obviously I still remember it like five years later. But uh, yeah, to, uh, other movies uh, of that movie is on Prime if you want to check it out. Uh, I both Andrew and I really enjoyed that. Uh, another uh, film of Ted's Mohawk is on Netflix right now, and uh, Satanic Panic, which you wrote, uh, is on uh, Shutter. So if you're looking to see some of, of Ted's work, that's some places you can find it and some stuff that I have seen. Um, but let's talk about Friday the 13th part two. Uh, what What's your Friday the 13th story? What's the first one you saw? Like, what was the environment that you saw it in? You're a little older than us, but I'm guessing you still missed theatrical on the original run of movies. Uh, I, I did miss theatrical on the uh, the Paramount 8. But um, uh, I so let's see. When I was a kid, I was not a big horror fan when I was younger. Um and I, I think I was about 13 years old. So it would have been like 91, 92 ish. And I, I just, I just didn't like horror and it just wasn't my thing. I was like, why get scared when you can laugh? Like watch comedies. They're way more fun. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm right there with you. I was the biggest giantest baby. Yep. Yeah. And I just, it was not, it was not for me. And I didn't understand like the predilection that, you know, brought people toward these things. And one of my best friends in the whole world, this guy, Dave Romanesco, who I'm still very dear friends with, Dave showed up at my house for a sleepover. Like, again, like 12, 13 years old. And he he showed up. He was like, hey, you know, I'm super excited to hang out. And he was like, hey, I brought along these movies. And he had brought along um, Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter. And I was like, nope, 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 absolutely not. Not going to watch it. And he was like, he was like well, it's got, it's got Corey Feldman in it. You like Corey Feldman. And I was like, oh, I, I do like Corey Feldman. He's he's pretty cool. And he, he was like, Dave goes, yeah. And you you know the other thing is like, every time there's going to be a kill, like I'll pause it and I'll let you know. And he's like, you know, you should watch it, but like, you know, I, I won't let it scare you because Dave had seen the movie you know a hundred times by then. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Personal copy of the tape. And I was like, I don't really want to, but all right, Dave's super cool, and like I'll I'll go along with this. And so it starts up and, you know, like you get the, the first couple of kills in the, the uh, morgue with Axel and the nurse. And, you know, he pauses it and he's like, OK, this guy's about to get his head chopped off. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. And then he, he unpauses it and, you know, Axel gets his head twisted around. And I'm kind of like, oh, that that's uncomfortable. I don't really care for that. But at the same time, Dave's, you know, like laughing hysterically and he's telling me like oh tom savini did these effects and you know like he did the effects for the first movie and he came back for this one he's like yeah you know that actor was just on a swivel and they just like the you know the body was fake but the head was real and they twisted you know he's like explaining to me in like the most basic like kid terms like i'm sure yeah yeah. he's your pop-up video yeah (laughs) i'm sure that the way in which he described the effects actually being created were not accurate but they were accurate enough for me to really like step back from the violence and start like he would pause me like, okay, this guy's about to blah, blah, blah. And before he'd even hit play, I'd be like, I wonder how they're going to do that. Cause I knew it wasn't real, but it was like, right. Like, like what this guy's going to get like, you know, a meat cleaver to his face. And I'm like, well, how, how are they going to do that? And then we'd see it. And then I'd be like, how'd they do that? Like, obviously that guy didn't get killed. That's, that's Marty McFly's dad. He's, I was going to say, that's the one with Crispin Glover, right? Yeah. 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 He's, he's the one who gets the, uh, he gets the corkscrew to the hand followed by Teddy to the face. Ted, where's that's my, yeah, that's my favorite one in all of Friday the 13th. Well, I, that's when, when, when you said in the, in your email, 
you want to talk about Ted because you're a Ted. I was like, wait, I thought we already did the Ted one. There's yeah, there's yeah. Ted. I didn't realize there were two Ted's. Weirdly, Friday the 13th gets two Ted's. Yep. <laughs> it's a two Ted franchise. Yep, a name that is not regularly used in anything gets two Friday the 13th Ted's. Um but so um, we finished the movie and I was and Dave was like, what did you think? And I was like, it was actually kind of cool. Like, I, I liked that. And he was like, good, because I brought along five and six. <laughs> <laughs> and so that night, my my first introduction to not just Friday the 13th, but to um, to horror was the the Tommy Jarvis trilogy of four, five and six. So that was, that was okay. re- really fun to like dig into those. And. I mean, I was, I was an addict immediately. Like he, he went home the next day and I like told my parents like, can we go to the video store? And they're like, yeah, sure. We went to the video store and I rented one, two and three, like right away. And my parents were like, Oh, oh, you know, like, I don't know if those are, you're going to be okay with those. And I was like, Oh, it's totally cool. It's totally cool. And like, I, I popped them all in. I, I, you know, I admittedly watched them in like the afternoon just in case I got scared. Yeah, sure. But, yeah. But I watched one, two and three the next day brought him back like had to watch you know like seven eight and nine and no i guess only seven and eight by that point yeah so it would just would have been it just would have been all the paramounts and then i just dove into everything else you know i was calling dave every day me what else should i watch what else should i watch it was like all all the halloweens all all the nightmares like and i just i became a complete obsessive um to the point where uh, I lived in a small town in rural montana but we had a lot of video stores and I went to every single video store and rented every single tape, literally every single tape. And it, it's why I became, you know, I think it's why I'm, I'm such a horror trivia geek now. And I know so much about this stuff now is because, you know, my, my contemporaries, people, my age, you know, people in their early forties or, you know, I'll see them on Twitter being like, I'm finally going to watch Tenebrae. I'm finally going to watch, you know, like, you know, Friday the 13th part six. And I'm just like, how did you not watch this movie 500 times in your <laughs> Because I did. And it just, you know, it, it obviously comes down to me just being a lonely, weird kid in rural Montana. And, you know, the, these movies quickly became my best friends. But yeah, yeah. You know, it's yeah. Now it's it's my whole life. You know, I mean, I'm I'm I am an ambassador for horror movies. You know, I've got a I've got a Jason tattoo on my arm as well as a lot of other things. But it's it's less about you know going like yay horror and it's more about you know reiterating that these movies are they are are my life they are absolutely my life and i would be dead without horror movies they they have become my best friends they have become my therapists they are they are mom's comfort food they are all they are all <laughs> they are all the important things in my life you know i love that and i mean i uh uh Early last year, uh, my father passed away and I was, you know, obviously heartbroken by this. And, you know, I, I hadn't seen him in a few months. You know, he still lived in rural Montana. And that night I came home and, you know, I told my partner, I was like, you know, I'm, I was just a wreck of a person. I, you know, just this total shell. And she, she was like, whatever you need, whatever you need, like, you know, it, we'll get it for you. And I was like, you know, like, I, I want some food. I want a beer. I will kind of want to just like sink into the couch and just, you know, like be with my thoughts and everything. And, and my partner was like, yeah, you know, like totally. But like, you know, if you want to watch TV, if you want to go out, like whatever you want, like, you know, here for you. And the first thing that popped into my head was like, 
I want to watch Friday the 13th. And I remember her going like, I, ah, you know, do you really want to watch that? You know, like, you know, it's violent and, you know, dark and, you know, like you're, you're in kind of a rough place. And I was like, honestly, like nothing makes me feel more like swaddled than watching the Friday the 13th movies. Like to me, they really are like mom's meatloaf. Like they've become so such a part of my life that they are my childhood. And like every time I pop one of them on, I do get that feeling of like sitting downstairs in my parents' basement watching part four for the first time with Dave Romanesco, you know, when I was 12 years old, like that, that they're no longer, they never were scary. You know, they were always just this, this like unifier for me. And so to this day, I mean, it's, it's why I was so happy to hop on this chat with you guys and talk about them. But like the Friday movies to me, they, they are the most important eight films in my entire life. And they, they always will be like, are, are they the best? No, but like, are they the most important? Hell yes. Like, like undeniably forever, they are the most important to me. That's really awesome. That's yeah, I a love very that. cool story. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, we, we have often talked about Friday versus nightmare versus Halloween and such. And, and I think the conclusion we always end up coming to is the Friday the 13th movies don't have the highest highs, but the lows aren't quite as low. It's like the most consistent across movie to movie. Like they all hover in the C plus to B plus region. Right. Whereas like Halloween, you've got an A and like maybe an F in there, but you know, they, they, they they kind of stay in the same wavelength. And I I was thinking about that last night as I was uh, watching this, because I had been a while since I had seen it. And I was thinking like, I hadn't watched this one in a while. And I was like, Oh man, I really enjoyed this one a lot more than I remembered. I always say the final chapter is my personal favorite of the, of the Friday movies. But this one is, is a, is a lot of fun too. So, um, yeah, no, that's, that's really awesome. I guess I was going to, normally we ask people between the three franchises, which is their favorite, but I think it's overwhelmingly obvious. This is yours. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, uh, I, I, I really enjoy all of them. Um, I, you know, every Friday the 13th on Twitter, you start seeing the people who like decide to rank all of them. And I'm sure. Yeah. I don't feel a need to rank them. Like, like I love to, I, I love the original film. I'm because, you know, I knew Betsy Palmer when she was alive and, you know, I'm, oh, I'm, wow. still, I'm still good friends with Adrian King, um, who's the final girl in that film. So like, of course I've got like a connection to that. And like the, the 3d stuff in, in three is, is so much fun. And, you know, Jason getting his mask and that one's really great. And Richard Brooker as Jason in three is really great. And four is awesome. Cause that's the one where Jason finally dies, you know, like, and five is like this trashy, crazy thing. That's like, you know, it's like a porn director made it. And it's like, it, it's so <laughs> like, I, I love that. Like, I just, I love what, what like a janky weird movie that is. And then like six arguably is, is possibly my least favorite of the Paramount eight, which is crazy because most people it's their favorite. And I, I still love it. I mean, it's, it's like, Pick, picking my favorite of eight things I adore, my favorite or least favorite of eight things I adore. But, you know, six is when, you know, it's like Jason comes back. Now he's a zombie. Now he has superhuman strength. But, like, that's the one where they kind of started, like, winking at the audience. You know, it's the one that has the James Bond intro. You know, it's got the Alice. Oh, movie. yeah. You know, like, it, it's the one where Jason decapitates three people at once with a machete. You know, it's. It's the one where the kids look right into the camera and say, what did you wish you were going to be when you grew up? You know, like it, it has a certain sort of waka waka to it that 
I personally am not as big a fan of as a straight-faced slasher film, but I see why people enjoy it because it does, you know, it, it does break the wall a bit. It does have a bit more fun with the series, but I, I think I thought the five before it were fun. So, you know, and I was fine. And then it's like seven is Jason versus Carrie. And part eight is like Jason killing people on a boat and a little bit in Vancouver, British Columbia. <laughs> yeah. That, we did that one a while back. And man, is it such a disappointment that you don't get the thing that is on the tin. It's like, but just Jason in Manhattan is such a wonderful idea and they didn't do anything with it. It is such a disappointment yeah, to both of us. Two nights you get, you get Kane Hodder standing in Times Square for a couple minutes. But yeah, yeah. But but I still love it. I still I still find the movie so like cheerfully enjoyable. It's like I mean Kelly Who's in it, like like you know, Miss America who ended up being in the Scorpion King. Like it's like this crazy it's a crazy bunch of people and it's like and at the end of the day it's like it's still Jason on a boat. It's still Jason. He's still Yeah, yeah sure. He's still chopping people up and there's still a bunch of blood and a bunch of boobs. Like <laughs> Plus there's a radioactive waste in that one, which is a oh, new thing yeah. for the franchise. Yeah, because yeah. as Because that's the one that like is that the first one? Because that's the one where she gets uh the woman gets injected with like heroin or something. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And then and it, it was like wait a minute. <laughs> I remember seeing that being like, that feels like so what happened here? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they they inject her with heroin and then try to steal her away, uh, presumably to like assault her. They th- her friends save her, and then like three minutes later, like there's like a like a cartoony shot of her like slapping herself on the cheeks and being like, "Yes, oh, ooh, okay, I'm better, I'm better, I'm better." <laughs> yes, not not high on heroin anymore. I'm good now. Yeah, yeah. Jason actually saves her. I remember that detail as oh, you yeah, were saying it. It's like mm-hmm. he he stabs the guy. While he's right. on top of yeah. her. Yeah. He he impales him on his own heroin needle. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Jason, my anti-drug. Yep. Yes. God bless. <laughs> um, so part of the reason that we are not part of the reason we invited here is because you were saying uh, how much part two is your favorite. Do you, do you mind elaborating a little bit on what? makes this one your your personal favorite absolutely so you know after the success of the first friday the 13th um you know they quickly dove into production on a second film and a lot of the times when that happens i feel like the the second film or whatever sequel um it feels rushed and uh friday 2 just is a film that does not feel rushed it feels very methodical it feels very well thought out it has really good, solid characters that I think are just as charming, if not more so, than the team in the original film. Um, it, you know, it, it has that very strange introduction featuring Alice, uh, the survivor from the first film, being killed by Jason after finding, you know, Pamela's head in her refrigerator. Um, yeah. That sequence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that sequence, um, you know, was created because um, Adrian King um, was contractually obligated to be in the second film, um, but had been dealing with a stalker and did not want to be in the film. Um, and ultimately she had to be in the movie and the decision was made. She, she was like, well, if I have to be in this movie, you're just going to kill me off right away. I'm going to do like one day on set. And just shoot this thing and, and get the hell out of here because I, I'm, you know, terrified for my life. Um, and it, it's a it's a really bold choice, um, you know, to kill off your final girl. I mean, not knowing, 
you know, the history behind that, you know, for audiences, you know, to just have Alice, you know, just be offed immediately there, I think is, is such a bold creative choice. And then not only that, but then the film jumps forward five years. Um, and suddenly, you know, we're at the camp on the other side of the lake. We're meeting all these wonderful new characters. It's like Ginny, the, the lead character in that by played by Amy Steele is absolutely wonderful. And, you know, it, it is the introduction to Jason. We, we, we finally get to see Jason, and he is this hulking, insane behemoth of a woodsman who we didn't realize had not drowned in that lake back in the 1950s, but rather pulled himself to the shore, lost his mind, and ended up building a crazy, I don't know what you want to call it, a, a fort, a... a, a um, uh, fort uh, is, is yeah, I think that's fort. the operative word. It's a fort, yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing a bunch of kids would build, like the Goonies would build. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's like, and one has to consider the fact that, like, J- Jason is this mentally disabled child, and he's like alone in the woods at like age nine. It's like, yes, he's he's building this crazy fort, and he as as he grows up, you know, suddenly. You know, it's 20 some years later and we've got this 30 some year old man with, you know, the mind of a child and, you know, like losing, continually losing his mind out in the woods. I I think that that's such a that's such a rad concept for a, um, you know, for for a slasher villain and to tie it so perfectly into the first film, um, I think is is such a joy, you know, because in the first film. We're just led to believe that Jason was a young boy. He drowned in the lake and his mother, you know, went out, went out for vengeance. But the second film kind of takes that concept and flips it on its head and, uh, you know, turns this sweet little boy into a maniacal killer who racks up a body count by the end of the series. Well, into the 130s, I believe it's (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it it all starts with part two, and I mean, you know, part two is you know it it owes a lot to you know Italian Jallos, you know, it takes a lot of its kills from uh, a Bay of Blood, um, an Italian film from the seventies, uh, um, including very famously the uh, the the impalement while the two while the couple's having sex. Um, it's it's very very much indebted to a lot of of Italian cinema, and uh, as a fan of Italian stuff, I. I I can read that throughout the entire film. It really does have a Bay of Blood vibe to it. Um, and it's it's pretty scary. It actually has some good scary moments. And I, honestly, I believe out of the whole Paramount 8, it's by far the scariest. Um, Jason, you know, Sackhead Jason, it's, he's not like a novelty character at this point. He's, he's just this horrible, creepy thing, you know, and... He, he's wearing, you know, the, this sack over his head. He's he's creeping around. He's I, I love the sequence when Ginny um, returns back to the camp after going out to the bar. And she and Paul are in the cabin. And there's this moment where she goes, there's someone in this room, Paul. And lightning strikes. And you can just see Jason standing in the corner motionless for one split second. And then she goes there's someone in this room and all of a sudden he jumps out of the darkness and it's such a good, like, yes, I, I yeah. stuff up. It's so charming. And, and I, and not only that, but it, it's got some great jump scares. I mean, including the, the final bit at the end when, when Jason jumps through the window, that 
Oh yeah. It absolutely puts little Jason jumping out of the lake in the first movie to shame. It, it slays that jump scare so well that I absolutely think it's, it's the best of all the dream jump scares at the end of the Friday films, which most Friday films end with a dream jump scare. But that, that one's just, I mean, by far the best, the way they frame it, the way they play against the music and the way they cut to him jumping through the window. It's, it's, it's a cut that shouldn't be right, but it's perfect. I I last I've seen this movie a zillion times and last night watching it like I know that that is coming and I'm I'm a jumpy person uh anyone who listens to this show has heard many times I'm a big <laughs> jumper I'm I am easily startled that is how I would describe myself and it's like I know that that one's coming and I still like almost spilled my water all over myself yeah. last night at one in the morning it was like damn it go on man well I so I watched it last night too and um I, I'm I'm currently uh pet sitting and my friend, my friend and they have a pool and I was like, oh, maybe we'll take like a night swim because it's been super hot out lately. And I watched Friday the 13th and my boyfriend fell asleep on the couch and I was like, I'll still go out for a night swim and like turned on the step lights and like walked back there. And I was like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to do this. <laughs> I think I'm going back in the house. I'm good. Uh- um, you mentioned the the edit there, and I, I the editing is actually uh, one of the things that really struck me upon rewatching this. This is uh, Susan Cunningham in her first stab at a uh, solo editing credit. I think she'd been assistant editor on a couple of movies, perhaps even the first Friday. I don't have her IMDb in front of me, but there are a bunch of really cool edits, but uh, several of them that uh, I would highlight going through this almost reminded me of the movie Hot Fuzz in their like comedic jumping so there's one with the dog muffins where we cut from the dog and you think the dog is about to get it and we it's just from the dog to hot dogs on the grill which is just it's just like that's a hot (laughs) fuzz edit and then the other one in that same vein is um i believe it's amy Steele who screams but that might not be right but there's a scream and we cut from the scream to like a guitar solo wailing at the bar like catching up with everybody else um, and I just, it was, it was one of those like, oh man, that's like a really good joke edit that is, that I've, you know, not something I see talked about in the, these movies a lot, but surprisingly deft hand from somebody who didn't do a lot of editing beyond this movie and, and hadn't really done a solo movie. There's, there's a bunch of really interesting stuff that she does in, in the edit bay that makes this movie more entertaining than I think it would be in someone else's hands. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I also, I, I, I do think that Muffin gets it right there. I think that's our that's our cue that Muffin uh, does not make it through that moment. Also, well, I thought Muffin shows up at well, the end. Doesn't they, she? They, 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 yeah, they definitely have the the test audience thing where Muffin re- reappears at the end of the well, movie. I think here's here's my thought on that. Oh, there, there's a moment in the film where they they believe they find the remains of Muffin. You know, they, right, right. Mm-hmm. That's Muffin totally got killed and. Muffin shows up at the end of the film to reiterate that what you're watching is a dream sequence because, Oh, interesting. Ginny does not know that Muffin is dead. So when the door opens, she goes, Oh, Muffin, Muffin's dead. And so when Jason bursts through that window behind her, that's, that's further proof that this is in fact a dream. Um, also, I never thought about that. I like that. It's, it's a dream because Jason does not look like that. Um, Jason never had hair. Jason is bald. Jason does not have a beard. J- and, and yet, 
in Ginny's dream of Jason as this woodsman, as this, you know, this horrible monster that lives out there. He's this giant hairy beast of a, you know, like proto caveman sort of thing. Um, so, so where do you think the dream sequence starts? Cause I, I this is a really interesting take to me cause she does unmask Jason. So presumably she knows what his head looks like. She does. And, and I think that's one of those moments where it's like, I, I guess we kind of have to, to retcon that a bit. Um, okay. I, and I, I, I was actually just about to chime in with, yes, she, Oh, sorry. Sorry. No, 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 please. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought it up. You've done the research as well. No, she, she does unmask Jason. So yes, in theory, she would know what he looks like, but, if you factor in that, that parts, I mean, and obviously, you know, they didn't have this planned, um, you know, when they were shooting part two, but in part three, we get a very clear image of what Jason looks like. Um, not only that, but Jason's wearing the hockey mask for the vast majority of the film. And we clearly see that he is bald and has no beard. Right. And, and part three takes place the next day. It literally takes place a day after part two um and part four in which we also see jason unmasked when he's killed we also see that he's bald and has no beard and that film takes place two days after part three so uh, parts two three and four all take place within the span of a week um jason's initial rampage after you know coming back for revenge all takes place over the course of a week and then he's killed Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I, the, I, I like that you brought up the dream thing, uh, with regard to the end of the movies. Cause I, uh, f- frankly hadn't put together the dream sequence that it was dream sequence here. Although that does make sense. I was making notes about how obviously we saw that dog eviscerated earlier in the movie. And I was like, this must be a test audience thing. So yeah. the dream sequence, uh, does, does make a lot of sense well, there. When you consider the fact that the first one ends with that really big, bold dream sequence, the second, right, right. thing. The third one features the bit where, um, you know, Jason's in the window and she she freaks out and then Mama Voorhees jumps out of the water and attacks her. Right. Oh, yeah. So that one ends with a dream sequence. And then it's like part part four does not end with a dream sequence. Um, But part five um, has the bit where um, Tommy Jarvis uh, becomes Jason at the end of that movie. You know, it. His, you know, um, the, the, the girl comes in to visit him at the end of part five in the hospital bed. And, um, she, she like, she's like, Hey Tommy, what's going on? And all of a sudden Tommy is Jason and he has a knife, you know, which obviously did not happen. That's a dream. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And then it's like part six, no dream. We're good there. Um, uh, part seven, I believe has a dream sequence at the end of it. Um, no, 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 it doesn't. It does not. Um, but then then eight obviously does because um, in in playing up the fact that, you know, our final girls constantly are having visions in the Friday films. Um, Rennie, the, the final girl in part eight, is throughout the entire film seeing baby Jason. You know, she sees baby Jason in a mirror. She sees baby Jason through a portcullis. And all this, and then at the end of the film, when Jason is finally covered up in toxic waste, and we see his face melting away, instead of seeing like the gruesome remains of Jason, which is theoretically the gigantic hulking beast that we're introduced to in Jason Goes to Hell, yeah, um, she sees a little boy, 
Um, you know, so that moment of like seeing little Jason laying down there under her feet, again, I, I have to chalk that up as a dream sequence. There's, there's no way that the toxic waste turned Jason into a little boy. What she saw was the little boy that she saw throughout the entire film. And it also leads into the fact that the vast majority of the Friday films end with a dream sequence. So yeah, no, that makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah, you you have uh, laid out a great case there, one that I had not uh, personally put together on my own before. So that I appreciate <laughs> that. Frankly, you've illuminated me for sure. So, in terms of horror movie dream sequence jump scare endings, if you like stack up, I I, ha- I had written down Carrie versus original Friday Thirteenth, and then I also had original Nightmare, and I was like that, but that one's so hilarious. Yeah. So that's probably not really in the run. Like the Carrie versus Friday Thirteenth, which one do you think is like? Which one is which? Which one's your favorite? Um, I I, I still got to go with Friday, um, but honestly, I'd go with Friday too. You know, that being my favorite jump scare of all of them, I do think. Um, you know, I do think the little Jason um, popping out of the lake in the first film. You know, Ari Lehman playing little Jason there. I, I think that. It, it's a it's a phenomenal scare, and I you know it, it famously is the story goes that it it's what sold the movie. You know that buyers were in the room, and they were like, "Ah, oh, this is pretty good. This is pretty good." And that final scare happens, and like everybody just communally shit their pants, and suddenly there was a bidding war for the movie. And um, so, like, I mean, kudos to them for that. Um, oh yeah, the uh, the the jump scare at the end of Carrie is, is phenomenal, and um, you know, one of my one of my dearest friends from childhood, this uh, this pal of mine, David Heisel. David was always like, "Yeah, I love horror movies." He was like, "Boy, the end of Carrie always gets me. It always gets me." And I I said, "Oh, I've never seen Carrie before. This was you know when I was you know fourteen, fifteen years old, mm-hmm. still going through the library of horror films." And I, I rented Carrie, and I, I said, do you want to watch it? And David, David was like, yeah, yeah, I'll totally watch it with you. And I, I actually remember this so well. And I remember sitting there, and that scare happening. And David, who'd seen the movie like a dozen times, just like jumps out of his skin for like like the 10th time. Like the 10th time. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was like, man, there really is something to that scare. Like that is a good, good scare when like – like he's seen it this many times and it's still just absolutely knocking him on his ass. One of the uh, recurring gags we have on the show, uh, well, not a recurring gag on the show. It's a recurring gag in our real life is our mom basically has memento, but only regarding movies. Like it's the second that it's over. It like is wiped clean. So she's seen jaws 5,700 times. Like it's our family's 4th of July movie. She saw it. I believe she saw it in theaters. Uh, But every time, Bruce pops out of the water. She like shrieks. And so right. it's just exactly the same thing. It's like, I'm almost jealous of her ability to like have those moments for the first time every time, yeah, because right. it's, it's a better way to enjoy things. <laughs> but I'm like, Oh, here comes the bit that I like. And instead she's like, you know, Ben Gardner's head pops and she's like, ah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> some of them are just that good that they just, they just last Carrie, I, I jump every time too. So oh, I, I get awesome. it with your buddy there. I love it. Yeah. Um, we'll hop around a little bit, uh, just to make sure we get to hit all the topics. But, um, one of, one of my favorite things about the Friday the 13th franchise, which I I think is, it sets it apart a little bit is that almost all of them give you, uh, what we have dubbed the previously on the Jason movies thing where they take, take, take some time to be like, you may not have seen the, what got us here. So let's, let's 
fill it out. And this movie, actually, I think they just lift the whole campfire sequence and drop it into part four to yeah. give you that, like, you know, what, what, what it is. But you, you, when we were talking about this on, on Twitter a little bit, we're going into part of the reason you like this one so much is because it's fills out the backstory. So I thought it'd be good to talk about that a little bit of how we get to uh, the theory that we were talking about online of Jason is alive for the first four. And then he's the sort of unkillable monster, which I think is uh, probably the correct reading of the series, but one that maybe gets lost in the shuffle as you're watching this sort of shambling monster. Well, as, as is said around the campfire, I'm going to give it to you straight about Jason. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, I'll, I'll edit in some campfire crackling under this part for you. A little, little, yes. little, little Foley. Um, over the course of the campfire sequence, as well as um, the, um, uh, the sequence in which Ginny uh, rather drunkenly uh, explains what she thinks happened um, when they're out at the bar with her and, and Paul and Ted around the bar. I, I see no other reading of it other than what the characters in part two claim, like clearly the intention was not for Jason to be a supernatural killer. When, when part two was made. Yeah. Jason in that film, um, he clearly is what the characters say he is, which is that he was a, a child who had mental deficiencies and needed to be cared after by his mother and went for a swim in the lake while the counselors were making love. He drowned in the lake and they never found his body, but he clearly pulled himself from the lake. He pulled himself from the other side of the lake. So clearly he was, he was able to uh, make it to shore, but he didn't make it to shore anywhere where his mother or the counselors at Camp Crystal Lake could have found him. We know this because the camp in part two is repeatedly described as being on the other side of the lake. Jason pulled himself from the lake and created this little, as I mentioned, this fort. He, he, he was a kid. He was scared. He was alone. And so he tried to just kind of make a way for himself. And for 20 some years, he lived in the woods and he became this sort of boogeyman character who was just out there, like, people knew he was out there, as we find out in other films. In part three, Chris, the final girl, talks about years prior when she was out at the lake and this strange man accosted her. Um, And then later we find out that it was Jason. That film takes place the next day, which means that Jason was out there, like, creeping on people and being this, this awkward hulking brute for for years and years um and he's he's drawn to the sounds of a scuffle by the by the edge of the lake at the end of part one um just as Ginny describes it and so he's this he's this odd loner he's this strange mountain man and one night he hears screaming he hears shouting and so he walks around the lake and just as he reaches what he thinks is the sound, he sees his mother. He sees Pamela for the first time in 20 years. He's like, wow, it's my mom. And in that moment, his mom is brutally decapitated by a camp counselor. And she, you know, she wanders out. She gets in the raft and she floats out into the lake. 
Meanwhile, Jason is just completely confounded by this. Clearly, he goes over there and he takes his mother's head. Um, he takes her head. We know this for two reasons. One, you know, however long later it is, um, you know, we we find that Jason has brought his mother's head to Alice's um, cabin and placed it in her refrigerator. And then later in the film, five years later, when part two takes place, we see that he still has his mother's head, which is now mummified and sitting on this altar in this, you know, little fort that he made for himself. And, and he, he took, took her sweater. sweater. He did. He, all, he also took her sweater. Um, and if you look closely um, at that altar, um, you'll also see that five years later, um, Alice's corpse is laying at the foot of the altar. Um, it's it's all desiccated and dried out, but you can tell that it's Alice because the uh, the ice pick is still stuck in the side of her head. Oh, I didn't oh catch right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's a cool little, cool little, uh, little in joke, if you will. You yeah, know, yeah. Little moment. But um, I, I always imagine Jason having like a bowling ball bag and he's just like toting around family head. head. Yeah, it's, just, it's like I just have this image in my head of like Jason instead of wearing his coveralls is like in a bowling shirt, just yep. like strolling through the woods with this bowling ball bag. Don't mind me. <laughs> yeah, he's like whistling. Yep. Well, and, um, you know, we um, uh, for me, you know, the idea that Jason because there's a lot of people who argue that like no, Jason was a little kid and then, you know, suddenly becomes this just hulking beast of vengeance. You know, he's arguably like a ghost of vengeance. Um, yeah. Kind of similar to the concept that is um, Victor Crowley in the Hatchet films, you know. Sure, yeah, yeah. Victor Crowley is, you know, like he's a corporeal ghost. He's a solid ghost. He's like the Dagmars in We Are Still Here. He's like a solid ghost who can actually touch people and hurt them. Um but I, that's not what Jason is. Um, J- Jason is a full grown man who has lost his mind after seeing his mother be decapitated and goes on a week long killing spree. Um, we see this in the fact that when, when Jason goes to kill several characters in part two, we see his hands and we see it. He's got a big fat raspberry on one of his thumbs you know, from like when you hit your thumb with a hammer and it leaves. Yeah. 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 That I'm sorry. Ghosts of vengeance. Don't get those. Not only that (laughs) in part two, Jason repeatedly gets uh, injured. And when he gets injured, we hear him cry out in pain. He gets his leg cut and he screams and grabs his leg as the blood comes out of it. Like there's a moment where someone jumps out and kicks him in the balls and he grabs his crotch and falls to the ground, like groaning. Right. Yeah. Like he's clearly a man. He's clearly a living human being. And at the end of that film, he gets chopped really violently in the shoulder. And yes, I mean, we do have to argue that like that would theoretically be a a fatal blow to any normal human, but he's so jacked up on crazy that the fact that, you know, he's kind of had his shoulder blade bisected is is a really, really painful, you know, but like, I'm going to get through this. So at the at the end of part two, yes, he does get chopped really violently in the shoulder. And then at the beginning of part three, we see Jason pulling himself away um, before the authorities can show up. And then at the end of part three, you know, Jason gets chopped in the head with with an axe, arguably, again, something that 
should really, really <laughs> yes. <laughs> the shoulder I'll give you on the theory yep. you're spitting here, but I feel like axe to the head is fatal for so, everyone. So, but here's here's my theory on this. You know, because I, I really do love these movies, and I really I, I don't I don't want to make excuses for them, but I do want them to work. And the thing is, it's not that he gets like his head bisected or anything. He gets chopped above his left eye with an axe. And he gets chopped in such a way that the axe is protruding from his head, which really means that it goes through the skull and it likely it likely causes some brain damage to the frontal lobe. But th- it does not go like deep, deep into his head. Even when he turns, we see the axe isn't actually that deep in his head. And in history, people have been hit in the head with axes and lived. Like it's sure. like yeah. it is absolutely something someone can live through. And given the fact that Jason, again, is crazy high on endorphins, he's losing his mind, and he's also just this hulking behemoth of a man, that, you know what, shoulder injury, axe to the head, like, there's a universe in which a hulking sociopath could theoretically live through these two, not live well, but could live (laughs) these two things. And the axe to the head is actually so traumatic that they believe he's dead, and they take him to a morgue, at which point the endorphins kick back in and he gets up and he's like, nope, I'm not done killing people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining a like Phineas Gage-esque turn for Jason where like after the head injury, he like suddenly becomes a very kind man right, and right. like gets a, gets a job <laughs> at like a like a uh, Trader Joe's. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's just like a very kindly bag clerk yep. who's helping people with their groceries. Yeah. But it is. Uh, no, I'll give you I'll give you that. You do make a, a strong argument here. I'm, I'm smiling watching it because these are my favorite kinds of movie discussions. So because, uh, and then re- really like because we, we have to do the deep dive to, to finish this statement in part four. Part four is called the final chapter. It's, it's the movie where Jason dies. It's Jason's final time living. It is the end of Jason. And it is a film about Jason's death. And that film ends with Tommy Jarvis, you know, a survivor of all this trauma, violently murdering Jason to the point where Jason is not coming back from it. Because he first attacks Jason and hits him a few times he hits him in the face. There's the really brutal moment where, you know, Jason slides down the machete with, you know, his eye oh, yeah. and mouth still, you know, quivering. But then we see Jason's hand tremble a little. And there's this incredibly violent moment where Tommy just gets on top of him and just butchers him. Like, absolutely yeah. butchers him while his sister looks on in horror, realizing that Tommy is theoretically the new Jason, you know? So. Jason is dead. He's dead, capital D, dead at the end of part four. He is killed. Part five, we get our, you know, we get Roy Burns, you know, killing people. Jason is dead. And it's in part six, a movie that's title is called Jason Lives, where Jason comes back. These titles, like, they're not there by mistake. These are very specific titles. Jason Lives is called that because it's the movie where Jason lives. It's literally Victor Frankenstein with the electricity screaming, it's alive, it's alive. (laughs) Right, right, right. Jason lives in this one through a bolt of electricity. 
anyone arguing that that isn't when Jason comes back from the dead, I got nothing for you. (laughs) In which Jason goes from being a living serial killer to an undead killing machine. He gets out of his grave, and the first thing he does is he punches a man, and his hand goes right through the man. (laughs) Later in the film, when when he reaches for a guy's machete... There's a character who's wandering through the woods with a machete. Jason grabs the man by the hand and swings him so hard that the man's arm rips from his body as the man flies through the woods in the tree. <laughs> and Jason, holding the man's severed arm, which is still holding the machete, looks at it. And even through the mask, there is the realization that Jason is looking at this and going, holy shit, I am really strong. <laughs> you can actually, is that the smiley face moment yes that's the smiley face moment which okay. is so absurd like i don't even understand like what like i feel like they found that on a tree in the woods and they oh definitely funny. but yes but that moment it's like jason is coming to grips with the fact that he is incredibly strong um and why isn't jason punching through people or bending people in half or you know like in the first three films that he's in, because he's just, he's a human and he is bound by human strength and human killing techniques. So boom, that's what's up. <laughs> <laughs> and I accept no arguments. <laughs> you, hear me, you hear me crack that cold one? I, just, yeah. I did. Yeah. I was I like, that was a, a delightfully emphatic uh, crack there. Um, you certainly don't have to answer this question because uh, unlike us who are people that are never going to get asked to do this, there is a world in which maybe you do get asked to do this, but um, obviously Jason's rights are mired in some sort of nightmare scenario right now. And yes. we're a long way from getting to see another one of these, but do you have your, your, your elevator pitch for your Jason movie and would you share it? And if you don't want to, I'll just cut this whole thing. That's oh, totally absolutely. fine. I, no, I, I'm, I'm so happy to. Um, okay. Um, I, I don't believe that slasher films work um, after the mid nineties. Um, and I don't mean just them like as movies. I mean that, the era has changed. Um, I think that the mindset has changed. And to me, slasher films really are the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. Um, and a lot of people will argue, you know, the slasher was dead by 84. But I think there's still a lot of fun slashers that came out well into, like I said, 93-ish. Um, totally. But um, my my thought is, if you're going to do Jason, like, as, as much as I enjoyed parts of the uh, the reboot, um, I think, I think uh, Derek Mears is a fucking phenomenal Jason in a film that didn't deserve his great performance as Jason. Um, I think yeah. that's the most, that's the, that's, the, that's the remake of, of the classic horror, you know, of the seventies, eighties that I like the most. Yeah. And the thing is, I, I do like, I do like things about it. Um, I think it's shot really beautifully. I think the movie looks gorgeous. Crystal Lake has never looked like as cool a place as it does in that movie. Um, yeah, but, um, I, I have my, my biggest issue and, and I'll hop, see, this is how, this is how I go. I told you I have the gift of gab. Um, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll say this and then I'll dive right back in. Um, my biggest issue is, um, the movie's too cruel. Um, I don't, yes, I don't it's extremely I, cruel. I it like, is. That's a good way to put it. I don't like That's how torturous, fair. um, I don't like how torturous the movie is and I don't like how torturous Jason is. One of my favorite things about slasher films and the reason that I do 
consider them like like mom's meatloaf is because they are very rarely torturous. And when a horror film is, or when a slasher film is mean, it becomes infamous for its meanness. Like a, like a film like The Prowler that features that sequence where a guy gets stabbed through the top of his head and lives through it while his eyes turn opaque white as he screams. Like, ugh, that is, that's yeah. mean shit, you know? Um, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, yes. Um, in slasher films, no, that's not how it works. Like in a slasher film, you get stabbed in the kneecap and you drop dead. That's how a slasher yes. film works. Like, you get- it's like an old western where yeah. anytime you get shot, you just go ugh in the gut yeah. and fall. Mild, mild electrocution, <laughs> drop dead, stab. One hit kill in Golden Eye, basically. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And the thing is, for for me, one of my biggest issues with the new Friday is all of the kills in it feel really mean, even when they're not at that torturous. Um, like the bit where the girl's under the dock and, and yes, that, yes, oh yeah. Fun kill, fun kill, but really mean. Dude on the speedboat who gets the uh, the um, uh, crossbow bolt to the head still yeah. feels pretty mean. Like, um, dude who's in the hydroponics lab gets straight up tortured. You know, like right, right, right. There, and to me, it's like that. Ah, that's not really a Friday to me, um, and it's not really a slasher film to me. Slasher films are a little more carefree and they're a little more fun. So while I also think it was a huge mistake to cast the sort of antagonist or protagonist against Jason in Jared Padalecki, who is a giant human being like Jason is supposed to be huge and make the other people look small. And they cast this like six foot, whatever Jared Padalecki, who's like this hulking dude. And like it becomes a more even looking matchup, which I think is just totally the incorrect way to go. And I like I like him. I enjoy Supernatural. I watched it way past when most people jumped off that boat. Um, but, yeah. Um, yeah. And the other thing is um, I, I really do believe in the beauty and the beast scenario. I think that like final girls are an integral part of slasher films. I think it, especially if your killer is going to be a giant brute male. Um, sure. Yeah. I think, I think it's important. I think it's empowering. I think it's fun. And um, I, I think that film deserved a final girl. Um, I think it deserved, I think it deserved a warrior woman fighting off Jason in that. And again, I like Padalecki a lot too. I'd, I'd be honored to work with someone like him. I think he's a great talent, but um, you know, and, and just like, um, just like the, uh, the Tommy Jarvis trilogy, you know, in all those films, it's like, yes, Tommy Jarvis is like the final boy in all, all three of them. But in all, mm-hmm. in all three of those films, he's partnered with an incredibly strong woman who survives all three of those films. Um, yeah, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. And in most cases, he wouldn't have survived without the cunning and wit of the woman that he's partnered with. Yeah, they kind of play with that in the sequel, too, although they give you that, like, big, you know, I guess I'm spoiling this for anyone who's not seen it. But, like, there's the big twist with, um, oh, my gosh, I just forgot the actress's name. Uh, she's in Sky High. She she's like the final girl. Oh yeah, Sarah, like you the whole it's time. Kate, uh, Danielle Panabaker. That's it. Thank you, thank you. And she she gets it in like the last four minutes. You're like, wait a minute, what the hell? Like you can't kill the final girl, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, so let's get back. Let's get back to your 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 pitch though. I I love this talk. I'm, I but I want to hear your I want to yeah. hear your idea. So at the at the end of Friday the Thirteenth Part Six, um, Jason is uh, covered in chains by Tommy Jarvis and he is thrown into the lake and he sinks to the bottom of the lake. And we get the speech that says like, Jason's still down there somewhere. And you get the close up of his eye still open. Like Jason is still alive in the bottom of that lake. And it isn't until part seven 
when um, uh, uh, Tina Shepard uses her psychic powers to remove Jason from the bottom of the lake, thinking that she's trying to wake up her dead father. Um, and then, of course, at the end of Seven, Jason gets thrown right back into the lake. That kind of becomes his, like, pull him out of the lake, throw him into the lake, pull him out of the lake. Sure, him sure. Into the lake. Yeah. So um, what that's I, his cold storage. Yes, absolutely <laughs> is. And um, that is, um, you know what? That's going to be the title of my, uh, that's going to be the title of my uh, Friday the 13th film. Thank you. Um, you, you, <laughs> uh, if you put me in the movie, done. please, that's all I have. <laughs> Somewhere. Um, my, uh, my concept for a, uh, a Friday film is um, it is set the winter after um, Tommy Jarvis. <laughs> Uh, threw Jason into the lake, um, and it's about uh, the caretakers who are up there. At it, it's uh, by that point, it's Forest Green. It gets renamed in Part Six, so it's uh, it's Forest Green, and uh, they're trying to do their best to figure out a way in which they can, you know, get this place back on track. And they figure, let's let's spend the winter up here. Let's try to figure this out. And over the course of the winter, um, Jason is freed from the lake, uh, the frozen Crystal Lake, and goes about murdering people in a big snowy wasteland. And we get snowy cabins, and we get snowy streets, and we get to finally see that hockey mask, that that sport that is so perfectly attuned to the cold, finally out in the cold. And at the end of that film, of course, they're going to throw Jason right back in that lake because a year later... Tina Shepard has to get him out of that lake for the events of part seven. So my film would be set in the eighties in between part six and seven. Um, and so Friday, 6.5, it would be 6.5 <laughs> Friday, the 13th cold storage. <laughs> and, uh, that would be my dream. I'm so glad you go to winter. My sorry. I cut you off. I'm sorry. Oh no, no, that's it. It, it, would, it would be literally my dream project. I, I would, I would, if you told me I got to make that movie and I could never make another movie for the rest of my life, I would absolutely do it. It is my, it is my <laughs> yeah, ultimate we, dream project. <laughs> no, I'm totally with you. And you can tell when you're talking about it, how passionate you are. We also have like t- j- talked around like what it would be if we obviously, like I said, they're never going to ask us. Although I've like written things down as a writing exercise many a time, but I just like winter is such an obvious move for the camp. And like, it's crazy to me that they never did. Like they put him in Manhattan air quotes before they put him in the snow. And I just, I don't know if it's like a, a matter of, of it's way easier to shoot a film in the, when it's nice out and you don't have to deal with all the, the factors of weather and these were kind of cheap movies but yeah it's like such the uh, right way to go it's such a such the thing we haven't seen that would be so much fun plus like you mentioned hockey like i don't jason with an ice skate doing something evil jason with a hockey stick doing something evil you know so many great ideas well there's a hockey stick in this movie in two you're right. There is a hockey stick. I was, this, I was like, yeah. I was like, that seems like a weird little Easter egg for something they hadn't fully planned yet. That there's he used a hockey stick to build his little fort. I was like, That's right, right, cool. yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the uh, other things that you had mentioned you want to talk about. Uh, obviously, we should talk about the the Teds in these movies. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. I think it's fascinating that this Ted breaks one of the major slasher rules in that you're not supposed to drink alcohol, and yet he's saved by his drunkenness, which is unusual for a, uh, a Friday movie. Absolutely, yes. Um, yeah, it's, 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 he, 
like totally he subverts the slasher rule and ends up living um because at one point when you see him in the bar he's got like a dozen beer bottles in front of him which like (laughs) and not (laughs) this bartender is not doing a great job maybe no and not only is he smashed but he's looking for an after party and he's got like the horny look going on. So it's like, yes, yes, yes. He wants to keep drinking and he wants to fuck. So it's like, <laughs> like every single one of these rules. Yes. So a hundred percent. It's, it's a, it's a strange scenario because like, I, I, I love, I love the character of Ted. I think he's, he's, he's the classic like camp goofball. Um, and the whole opening, you know, like welcome to God's country. Like he's this, yeah, yeah, this complete dweeb who goes out there, hangs out with everybody, hangs out with all the cool kids, wants to spend the night out at the bar, just getting tanked, while everybody goes back and gets murdered. I can only imagine <laughs> the rest of Ted's life must be a living nightmare. <laughs> yeah. like, like, I mean, honest to God, it's like it's one of those like. Like finding out that the plane that you were supposed to get on crashed, but yeah, but yeah, like you you were too busy partying the night before and you missed your flight. Like it's absolutely that scenario. So well, he's also got to be like drinking saved my life. So I'm yeah, just gonna drink yeah. every day oh, yes. for the rest of my there life. No doubt that that grown up Ted is a horrible, horrible alcoholic and a miserable, <laughs> miserable man. <laughs> I hope that there is a period in between those two things, though, where he's smart enough to like contact Heineken and be like, literally, your beer saved my life. I'm pretty sure they're drinking Heineken where he contacts them and is like, hey, uh, I have a great ad campaign for you. It's that your beer literally saved my life. Yep. <laughs> and it's just like dead in a bar, like <laughs> holding a machete and looking at it terrified. Yep. Oh, and I, and I also think about like. Like Ted, the the whole part where where uh, you know Paul's telling the story, you know I'm going to give it to you straight about Jason, and he tells the whole story, and at the end of that sequence, Ted jumps out with the mask on, and he's he's holding the spear, you know, and scares everybody, you know, he does the booga, 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 yeah. and they all scream, yeah, 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 and I'm like I'm like oh my god, Ted brought that spear to camp, and I'm sure the police <laughs> later told him they were like they were like hey, just so you know, Ted. Um, oh no! Um, oh. That you brought to camp. Um, a dude found it and he impaled your two friends with it, like together in together. one one pile. They, they were combined. <laughs> you know those two sweetheart kids? They were the youngest kids at camp. Remember them? They were seventeen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a so, delight i hadn't thought of that anymore. i didn't put I, that's a great a great thing to think about yeah so um yeah <laughs> <laughs> um the other one that you you mentioned we wanted to, to talk about was uh tom mcbride who uh is portraying uh mark jarvis but not related to Tommy, from what I can tell. Right? No, I don't think there's there's supposed. To be. Yeah. Well, uh, very very. Famous. Two Ted's, two Jarvises. Yeah. Well, very famously, um, fans added names to the vast majority of Friday the Thirteenth characters that they never had. Okay. Um, okay. Because I, I I didn't I didn't catch a last name for this character well, in the like, movie. There's virtually no last names for any characters, like any across the board. Um. So when you look on Wikipedia and you start seeing all these people with, they each have a last name. It's like, no, that's not really like at some point they became like accepted 
but the vast majority of them absolutely were not uh, originally. They're not in the scripts. As somebody who owns all the scripts, they're not in the, oh, okay. not in the okay. production material. <laughs> like, it, it's something that was added later. I mean, yeah, it's it's not a thing. I mean, even yeah. even the whole thing of like um, Sandra Dyer from from the second film who gets killed. Um, you know, it's it's her her brother is the one who shows up in part four to try to kill Jason, um, and he ends up getting killed. You know, he's he's the woodsman who shows up and teams up with Tommy Jarvis in part four. And then ultimately gets killed in the basement, screaming, "He's killing me! He's killing me!" Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. That's hilarious. Recall, he says he, he's like he's like, "Yeah, I'm I'm here. I'm I'm here because uh, this lunatic killed my sister." Like that was like four days earlier. Um, he Jason killed his sister in part two, um, and so they kind of retconned her, and they like they're like Sandra Dyer because his name is Rob Dyer in part four. But she didn't have the last name Dyer in part two. They just threw that on there, you know, so. Right, right. Yeah. So. So one of the things I think is really cool about Tom's character in this movie, and I like low bar, I suppose. But for a movie made when it's made, the character being in a wheelchair doesn't like he's not sort of this. um Punchline uh, after school, yeah, uh, not a punchline, and he is also not like an after school special, which is like what you might think would end up happening with with a disabled character in a movie in the eighties. Uh, and I, I also really like that he's like a normal sexual human being, yeah. and he's flirting with this woman, and they're like like a part of it. While their their um, their big interaction is like her very aggressively coming on she, to him, and him, she's like, "Yo, I want the D." <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. No, she is, um, but. I, Vicky is thirsty. Yeah. She like points to this. She's like, hey, look at the sky. And she's hired a sky writer to be like. (laughs) Yeah. But I think that's like genuinely kind of surprising for a Friday the 13th movie from what is that? 81, 82 when this came out. Like, yeah, it's like not what I expected of this character. And he eventually does get it in a way that kind of uses the wheelchair as a punchline. A weirdly hilarious death. Yeah. Yeah. But like I, I was genuinely surprised. Like this is a kind of a wild thing that they do in this movie absolutely um so my whole thing is um i never made the connection between me you know liking that character a lot and the fact that my own father was a quadriplegic so i was around someone who was in a wheelchair all the time and i didn't notice it it was my father was in a wheelchair before i was born so it would have been weird to see him walk and so for me the idea of this character in this wheelchair I didn't even think he was any different than any other character in that film. When I first saw that movie, you know, at age 13, I was just like, and then there's this Mm -hmm. dude like, and I'm like, of course he's going to have sex with that girl. Like my parents had sex. That's where I came. Sure. Like, you know, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Like I know, I know that's perfectly feasible. So for me, it wasn't until later that I realized just kind of how progressive that was to have, to have this character and really like, play up the fact that he's a totally normal dude and he's just like he's like yeah yeah i'm just you like he's just like i'm working at a camp in the summer you know like he's not letting the fact that like he's in a wheelchair prevent him from being a camp counselor which theoretically would be like 
being in a wheelchair be hugely detrimental to being in the woods. Like I, I yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can tell you, like a, as a kid with a dad in a wheelchair, like we went camping all the time, and most of the time, my dad was like, "I can't get over there. I can't go there. I can't." Get, like the fact that this character, this dude's like, "Yeah, let's be a camp counselor. Like it'll be tough as shit, but I'm gonna do it." Like, and we also we also know that he's strong because he he repeatedly states he's like, "Yeah, I got in an accident." He's like, "Yeah, the doctors say it's permanent. I don't think it is. I'm gonna I'm gonna fight it." Like. It, it's very common for a lot of people who become paralyzed to be like, they accept their fate very quickly, inc- including my own father, you know, like, and uh, under most circumstances, it, I think it's important to accept one's fate when you've had a, you know, a, a like incredibly traumatic spinal cord injury, you, you're not going to walk again. And uh, later in life, when I watched Friday two, and he's like, he's like, the doctors say the doctors say it's permanent, but I don't. And I'm kind of like, you should listen to those doctors. Because I, I, like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Yes, fight it. Be a badass. Keep keep going for it. But like, if a doctor tells you that a spinal cord injury is going to keep you in a wheelchair for life, um, science pretty much guarantees that you're going to be in that wheelchair for life. Um, right. Right. Yeah. As the ch- as the child of a quadriplegic, I, I feel very uh, okay in saying that. That said, yeah. Um, I I I like his character a lot. I always found him very endearing. Um, and then once I started learning a little bit more about the series and doing deep dives into who all the actors were and where they all came from, Tom McBride, who who plays Mark in that film, is a really amazing human in and of his own right. So um, he was a model. Um, he had gotten the role in uh, Friday Two. Um, you know, he was you know he was cast very early on because he was super handsome. Um, you know, he he got the role of Mark in the wheelchair, and he was at that time and and for his whole life he was openly gay. And this was, you know, this this film was shot in 1980 uh, during a time when, of course, yes, you know, there's there's sexual revolutions going on at at all times. You know, late 70s, early 80s, absolutely that was happening. And you know, to be to be a part of you know gay culture, like that's absolutely. There were gay bars, there were gay communities, obviously, you know, in the early 80s, but it was very hard for people who were openly gay to get roles in films because it was just, there was still that stigma. Um, And uh, Tom McBride, um, he had come from West Virginia, a place where even to this day is not really that opening to gay folk, but... uh, No, yes, no, no. no. But, you know, the, the fact that he decided to come out and managed to, you know, create a career as a model and then parlay that into, you know, very few acting roles. He did, he did very little acting. He, he'd always dreamt of becoming a big star and he wanted to be somebody who, you know, was an iconic gay actor because the world needed more of those. He thought, I think, totally. I think everyone agrees. He ended up, you know, the, the film was a huge hit, you know, um, but it didn't really lead to many more acting roles because, again he was very open about the fact that he was gay and that that did set him back a lot. Um, you know, he had like a small role in Remo Williams, you know, he was on some TV shows. I think he only did like one TV show actually, but like he didn't, he didn't do a whole lot of acting. You know, he, he tried to, uh, he tried to, uh, get back into modeling. He did, he did a bit of modeling and then, you know, he did a little Broadway work, but, Unfortunately, um, you know, he contracted HIV and it turned into AIDS and he, he died of AIDS um, in the mid 90s. And one of the things that I think is is so 
shocking um, about Tom McBride is um, uh, a friend of his, um, this, uh, this documentary filmmaker named Jay Corcoran, um, actually, when Tom found out that he had AIDS, um, he reached out to Jay and he said, I'd always wanted to be an actor. I'd always wanted to be in movies and I'm, I'm going to die and I'm never going to achieve that. And I'd really like to capture my final moments, my final years on film, um, because that's always been something that I've been drawn to. I've always wanted to be a part of film. And, um, this Jay Corcoran was like, that's a big ask, you know? And ultimately, um, he agreed to do it. And, um, Jay made a, uh, a film. It's, it's rather short. It's only about an hour long. It's called life and death on the A-list. Um, and it follows Tom McBride as his body breaks down and ultimately he dies and you see him die in the film. Um, they're there. Wow. With him. They're wow. there with him when he passes away. Um, and it is a powerhouse, just gut punch of a film about how grossly mismanaged the AIDS crisis was in 1995 and how wonderful a human this guy was and what a, what a sad experience that this life was lost to this disease that, you know, we can't necessarily say was preventable, but was, you know, was grossly mismanaged. It's a, it's a really powerful film. It, it's really hard to watch i believe i can imagine um i believe it was only released on vhs but um i know that you can find it online like you there there are like i won't say rips or whatever like there are rips of it it's 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 pretty available i, I think that if you just google life and death on the a-list um you can see it i don't normally say you know steal this thing but i i think mm -hmm. i believe the only way to watch it is on vhs i don't believe there is a legal way to see the film anymore and okay. if anyone out there does want to see Tom McBride, who is Mark in Friday Two, and he's a phenomenal actor, and he's an amazing, seemed to be an amazing human, to see to see this really powerful story about the end of his life, I, I think that uh, I think it absolutely warrants tracking it down and watching it through these means, if it you know means anything to anyone. Um, and as someone who's constantly fighting for LGBTQ rights, um, I think that this is a film that deserves rediscovery um, and deserves more people to see. Yeah. If, uh, if we can find a link, totally. I'll, uh, I'll attach it when we, when we post this, but yeah, that's, that's, uh, I, I had read about the documentary, but I have obviously not seen it yet. So, uh, same. Um, yeah. Well, like I said, I'm um, glad it's, you it's shared. very heavy and it's not something it's it's very triggering. Um, it's very difficult, and um, I mean, I have no better word to use than it, it's it's rather unpleasant. Um, but it's okay. But it's very important, and it is it is made with a lot of passion. It's just I I think it's something that make sure that you're in the right headspace when you want to watch it. I've told people that I I think it's I think it's a very important documentary to watch during Pride. Um, when you're learning more about the history of LGBTQ rights in America, um, I, I think it's I think it's a very powerful hour to spend during that time of year. But if you any time of year should be pride. So any time of year that anyone feels up to watching it, they should. Yeah, well, thank thank you for, yeah, thanks uh, for that. Yeah, yeah, appreciate it. Uh, 
this, there's just no way to transition from a, a, a big subject like that to, to a little more lighthearted. So I'm just going to just plow through yeah, this. Yeah. But the one thing about the one thing about his character that I did find a, a little disappointing on the rewatch is we sort of have this running gag of Chekhov's blank. Obviously, everybody knows what Chekhov's gun is. But in this movie, I felt like his character sort of has Chekhov's upper body strength because they're constantly show him like arm wrestling everybody and just like people are trying to use two hands and he's still beating them. Yeah. Um, which which is more to what we were talking about before of like being sort of progressive about having a character in a wheelchair in the 80s that he like, yeah, of course, his arms are really strong. That's how he gets around. Uh, I wanted him to do something with that in fighting Jason. Like, obviously, you know, he's going to lose. But I was disappointed that there wasn't a moment where like that upper body strength being, you know, this jacked man comes into the play before Jason gets him because he really it's very unceremonious. He like goes outside looking for the the, the gal that he was supposed to bed down with for the night and then suddenly gets hit with the machete. Yeah. So that was my one little like, oh, I really wanted to see him have like a little, you know, tussle or something. Yeah. Well, you know, in the second film, I, I think that um, one of the things that we see in that film is that that Jason is he's not the killing machine that we later know him as in so much as he tries to catch people by surprise in the second film. Um, yeah, for sure. Regularly tries to like wait until their back is turned to take them down. Um, the only people that he really goes like, like up against are, um, women. And we, we see that throughout the film. Um, like, um, the, uh, the character, his name's escaping me right now, um, who gets uh, caught in the bear trap and gets flipped upside down. Like, yes. Like, Jason's able to just walk. Scotty. Yes, thank you. Get, get Jason's able to just walk right up to him and butcher him because he's incapacitated. Yet, sure, sure. Yet the woman who finds him, he he approaches her as she, she looks up and screams, you know, which implies that she could fight back. Similarly... Um, the, the woman, um, uh, Vic, is Vicky? Yeah, Vicky, um, who wants to uh, hook up with Mark. Um, when uh, she gets hers, similarly, um, you know, she finds the dead couple and then, um, you know, Jason shows up and, you know, like actually like, like taunts her, like walks toward her very slowly, you know, with the knife out. You know, and he never does that to any of the men in the film. With the men in the film, he catches them off guard. You know? Yeah, he sets up a, like, Sarah Jessica Parker and Hocus Pocus moment for her, where he's, like, hiding under the covers yeah. to pop out and scare yeah, her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's very, like... So, yeah, no, I, I think that in that film, there's... Jason Jason knows Mark's upper body strength. He's not going to fuck him. Sure. He's, yeah. He's going to wait until he's turning the other direction and just go whap. You know, I mean... It's like that cop early in the film. I mean, he just straight up walks up behind that. Cop, oh yeah, hits him in the back of the head with a hammer claw. You know, like yeah, that, yeah. That's Jason's mo in the movie, and it, that changes as he becomes more confident as a killing machine. Right, right, and more supernatural. Yes, obviously, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. six. He's just doing whatever the hell he wants. Uh, right, right. Basically teleporting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Well, uh, this has been a blast and will certainly be the uh, the longest episode of our show ever by the time we uh, put everything together in editing and add some pieces here. But I really appreciate you taking the time to to chat with us and hang with us uh, this morning, give up some of your time to talk about this really fun Friday movie. Um, you want to plug some stuff, let people know where to find more of you and, and, and anything like that? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, you, I'm pretty easily accessible on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at, at Ted Gagan. Uh, that's T-E-D-G-E-O-G-H-E-G. G-A-N. Um, and um, right now, as long as uh, quarantine's holding up, um, every single Friday night, I host a, uh, an online uh, horror trivia event called Final Exam Trivia. Um, you can find that at, at Final Exam Trivia. Um, that has hundreds of people playing every single Friday. You can play on any computer or mobile device. It's free, and we have cool prizes. Um, and um, I, over the course of this quarantine, I also uh, created a radio program called This Is Not a Story About, um, where I do really deep dives um, and I really obsess over forgotten uh, cinema history. Um, it's all sorts of cinema, everything from uh, cartoon characters and martial arts stars to, uh, well, the episode five, uh, actually, uh, yeah, episode five is actually about uh, Friday the 13th. So um, it, it covers all bases there, um, and you can find that on basically any, uh, any platform that hosts uh, radio shows or podcasts. Um, again, that's called This Is Not A Story About. And um, I can vouch for that Friday the 13th episode. I enjoyed oh, it. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, I, always, I always plug the uh, episode four MGM. Um, listen to that one. Uh, that's the most, uh, most heavily researched thing I've ever done in my entire life. It's a okay. story that has literally never been told outside of that podcast. Um, bits and pieces of it have been told over the years. It was one of the biggest news stories um, the year that it occurred, but it has completely faded into obscurity. And um, it's a story that I am so passionate about that by the end of it, you can hear me crying. Um, it is, it's, it's an amazing, amazing story, and I'm incredibly proud of that one. So if you get a chance, I mean, I'm proud of all five of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm downloading it right now. And, uh, I'll definitely check un- that one. Unlike out. your podcast, um, each episode is 22 minutes long. So, um, <laughs> so really, what manageable. is this? Bite-sized and digestible. Who? What a what an idea. What do you know. Um, but uh, that's what I'm up to, and uh, you know, God willing, uh, you know, once the world starts spinning again, uh, I might have a new movie for you sometime. I I look forward I to it. So. I, I hope that it's eventually uh, that frozen Friday the 13th uh, one. I, I've always wanted to be a guy with a head bandage in a movie. So like if you need an extra with a head bandage, I'm not an actor, but I could be an extra with a head bandage. That's, that's, See, that's I have an acting with. degree. So I have a lot of fear. I'm like, I really want to like to be a final boy. Like after I think once, once we covered Friday two, I was like, I want to be a final boy no. so badly. <laughs> Nightmare two. Nightmare two. Oh, you're yeah. right. Thank you. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you so very much uh, for joining yeah, us. Been rad. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So much fun. I really enjoyed. Uh, you, you brought a scholarly, a scholarly uh, take to our podcast that is not always there. So we really appreciate that very much. You're very welcome. Uh, it's a lot of fun to do. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm very, very happy. To, very, very happy to hear that. Um, uh, thank you all so much for listening. I have been Triplano. I am Ted Gagan. And I will always be Andrew Leno. Until next time. Don't you forget about me.
dissecting the 80s is a chum sum of this production. Ow.